different things. They're marked by a few different things. They're marked by transparency and constancy or loyalty. And this call to friendship that's marked by both transparency and constancy is a call to war. It's a call to war on our self-absorption that has plagued humanity since we left the garden. It's a call to war against ourselves. It's a call outside of ourselves and into God's design where it is not good that man would be alone. It's a call to the good life of walking in the fear of the Lord and trusting fully in Him. And true friendships, I would say, are vital to the life of wisdom. They're vital to a life that is faithful unto the living God. They're not necessary in the same way that food and water and air are necessary, but they're necessary for us to make it a long way in a way that is healthy. And so we have to think about what is a friend. And I I love, this isn't a definition, but I love how C.S. Lewis talks about a friend in his book, The Four Loves. And he says that a friend is the one who has this typical expression of opening friendship would be something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. And it's, it's kind of this joining around something that you have in common with one another. And it starts there and then it has to move beyond that in many other ways. But that's where it starts. This, this kind of like looking around saying, oh, you too. We're in this together. And the most solid you too that any of us could have is when we have the, the fear of the Lord together. And we can look around and that's what we do in corporate worship. We look around and say, you too. You're singing those things too. You believe those things too. And we... Have this bond of friendship around that. That is the most solid you two we can have is the fear of the Lord. And so we need to repent and believe that that is the most solid friendship baseline we can have. And that that is a call into fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And so sometimes the first steps we can say into getting into the best friendships are steps into life with God. Our repentance and faith in God himself. And then let the fellowship with one another grow from there and grow strong from there. See, fellowship starts with uh, some sort of you too that you have, and it grows. And as it grows, the wise look at those kind of friendships, and they see how valuable they are, and they value them rightly. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 18, we, we read this in verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And so in the book of Proverbs, you have isolation getting a very negative evaluation. Being alone, being by yourself has this negative evaluation from the sages. Uh, The one who isolates himself, another way to translate that, the NIV translates it as one who is unfriendly. You could say they're unsociable or maybe even antisocial. And book of Proverbs is really clear. That's foolish. That's a foolish demeanor to have. If you're going to isolate yourself, be unfriendly or antisocial, that's the path of folly. And there's a connection being made in chapter 18, verse 1, with this isolation and this being unfriendly and selfish ends, selfish desires, seeking your own desires in your life. There's this solid connection between the two. See, the isolated person, the unfriendly person, becomes this person who will seek their own desires, and so they start to become unreasonable. They only chase after their own ends. They're irrational in how they live. One author says it this way, that the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it, and the more disastrous is his isolation. And they go together. I think you see this displayed well in the movie Frozen. Been waiting a while to take a shot at this one. Elsa's the 
queen of Arendelle, right? She has these magical ice powers that she can, you know, do different things with. And her whole life she conceals it, don't feel it, right? She just tries to hide it, cover it up, and not act like it's there because it has hurt her sister and can hurt others. But in a moment where she can't control it and it comes out, she decides to isolate herself. Run away from her problems and she can't keep it under control so she heads out on her own. She decides to test the limits and break through. She decides to let the storm rage on. I mean, we could do this all day, right? I mean, (laughs) she enters, her words, not mine, a kingdom of isolation as the queen. She thinks this is going to lead to good life. She thinks this is going to lead not only to to the protection of those who are closest to her, she thinks this is going to be for the best for her. But instead, what she doesn't realize is that in her wake of isolation is a trail of devastation. The kingdom is frozen. She severs relationships. I mean, there is chaos and tragedy, tragedy all around. She thinks she's free. She starts to bend all of her magic toward her own ends, building her own ice palace, fulfilling all of her selfish desires, thinking again, this is the good life. This will be the good for me. She irrationally sings, no rights, no wrongs, no rules for me. And she thinks that's the life that's going to have no consequences for her or for other people. And she's very wrong. And so though she uses her magic and it's a great display of power and beauty, it couldn't hide the wake of devastation that was behind her by her isolation. It didn't lead to the good life. What it did is it did what chapter 18 verse 1 said. It broke out against all sound judgment and led to devastation not only in her own life but of everybody around her. And so we have to think about the connection between isolation and the chasing of and trying to find our own desires And we need to ask, where in our lives are we under the delusion that isolation is going to lead us into the good life? Do we think that keeping people at arm's length, concealing and don't feeling, is going to provide the comfort and the safety that we seek? Do we think that if only we were just free to embrace and seek our own desires, then that would actually lead to the good life? Elsa thought those things, and I think the movie portrays it really well. It only led to devastation it didn't lead to the fulfillment that she sought. In Proverbs, and we're, and we're walking in our own desires all through the book of Proverbs, if we're seeking our own ends and walking in our own desires, you know where that leads? It leads to Sheol, death, to tragedy and devastation. That's what the book of Proverbs has been warning us about all along. But walking in the fear of the Lord, trusting Him, following Him, that's the path to the good life. That's the path of wisdom. Walking in isolation breaks out against all sound judgment, but wisdom values friends and friendships. Wisdom values life that's not lived in isolation. The good life is never a life of isolation. It's a life of close relationships. This is according to our design. This is how God has made us. God creates in the beginning, and you remember he creates, and he looks at his creation, and he says, it's good, it's good. It's good. Seven times God looks out, and he says that it's good. And there's one time that he looks out and says, it's not good. You remember when he does that? He looks out and he says something. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. This is God's evaluation. This wasn't Adam whining and complaining. He wasn't looking around saying, man, all these animals and plants, like they're okay, but gosh, God, when are you going to give me somebody? That's not what happens. He might have done that in his heart. We don't see any of that. It's God who makes this evaluation, says it's not good for man to be alone. God says that. God didn't create people to live in isolation because God created people in his image. 
And who is God? God is this eternal three in one. One God who exists in three persons from eternity past to eternity present. God is this holy trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. He eternally lives in relationship. Perfect, harmonious, one, equal relationship. And yet, distinct. Three distinct persons. And if that's the God that we're made in the image of, then to live in isolation is folly. It's a rejection of the image that we are to bear. And this shows, I think, just in and of itself, the very nature of it shows that living in relationship and friendship is of great value. And the wise recognize this. If you look in chapter 11, verse 14, the wise know that they have need and they recognize the good around them. In chapter 11, verse 14, wisdom tells us where there's no guidance... A people falls. That would be a place of isolation. A people falls there. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. You see similar things in chapter 20, verse 18. It says, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. In chapter 24, verse 6. For by wise guidance you can wage wage your war. And in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. And again, in chapter 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from earnest, from his earnest counsel. And so there's counsel, and then there's counsel from friends, and the wise recognize that these things are crucial for us. This is crucial counsel. This matters. It's very valuable. It even matters in war, like the, the winning or losing of a war, the, the keeping of a losing of your life could come in whether you take hold of the means that God has given you to be preserved through counsel, through others, through the sweetness of a friend. It's implied here that this counsel is needed, that none of us have arrived yet, that we are still in need, as long as we have breath in our lungs, of counsel that we might walk in the ways of wisdom. And it's also implied that we're going to have good counsel around us, that God's going to give us the wisdom we need from others, from those who are also wise. We see this displayed so well in the life of an old saint. John Calvin was, if you don't know his story, he he goes to Geneva to be a, kind of a scholar and a pastor, and he didn't really want to go there. And after a time there with his church, he gets expelled, kicked out of his church and kicked out of his city. Three years later, he's asked to return. You can imagine the turmoil inside of someone after they've been expelled and then asked to return. And he didn't want to. He said, I'd rather die a thousand times, something like that, than come back. But he had a good friend there, Pharrell. And this is his words to him, He says, as to in my intended course of proceeding, this is my present feeling. Had I the choice at my own disposal, nothing would be less agreeable to me than to follow your advice. But when I remember that I'm not my own, I offer up my heart, present it as a sacrifice to the Lord. And I submit my will and my affections, subdued and held fast to the obedience of God. And whenever I'm at a loss for counsel of my own, I submit myself to those by whom I hope that the Lord will speak to me. The reality for all of our lives is there are going to be times when we are at a loss for the counsel from God. And that God is going to give us that counsel, not through our brain, our hearts, but through another person. Amen. And I love the humility here to submit and say, I, where I don't understand it, where I don't am at a loss, I'm going to go with people that I know I can trust. And here is his, his close friend, Pharrell, who is advising him and even trying to convince him to return. 
And so he submits because he understands the value of a true friend, of a good friend. He understood that he needed counsel from outside of himself at times, and so he seeks out that counsel. He understands that God uses other means in order to counsel us sometimes, and he gives valuable counsel and guidance through other people, and so he values it and takes his advice. Isolation is breaking out against all sound judgment. It will lead to selfish ends, but relationships can lead to great wisdom can lead to self-sacrifice even. Going to a place you would never want to go just for the sake of the people that you know are there. Isolation will not lead you often to a place of sacrifice for the good of others. It will lead you to your own ends. But in the counsel of others, you can be led into sacrifice for the good of the people around you. But not all relationships are of equal value. Here we saw there's counselors and then there's friends. They were both listed there. But I think, I think close friendships are wise and they're rare. The, the mix of, of this you two with lots of other people is kind of a rare mix. And you see in chapter 18, verse 24, the value of this. In chapter 18, verse 24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a contrast here between two different kinds of acquaintances, two different kinds of companions. There's, there's many companions, and there's true friends. And true friends are the rare ones. They're valuable. They're a tremendous gift. Companions or acquaintances, they can be many, but they lack the quality and the value of a true friend. And these relationships that we have of these acquaintances, if you have lots of acquaintances, you know lots of people, they might actually be pretend friends. Not real friends, just people that you know. Likely, some of these acquaintances, these companions, revolve around one or two or more shared interests. So there's not something real tight tying you together, just a shared interest. That can be good. That's a good place to start, but it's not everything. And sometimes we have many companions that are just people that we share common interests in or common activities in. And these relationships are the ones that are surface level. They don't go very deep. Or they're very transactional. I use you as a means to get to my end, you use me as a means to get to your end, and we're all happy in this. These many companions, these kind of relationships are often punctuated by just brief conversations, likely around that shared interest and not much else, where very little life is shared. And so they lack depth, they, they lack strong loyalty, they're, they're relationships that can easily come and easily go. They lack transparency, and I think Proverbs tells us clearly they're less valuable. They're not invaluable, they're less valuable. People need more than one-dimensional, surface-level, transactional, activity-based friendships. And verse 24 is alerting us to that danger, that you're going to need more than just many companions. There's a danger of having many companions and having no true friends. There's a greater value on true friends, and so you need to steer away just this many companions and no true friends. There's a difference in value there, and there's a danger for us. Because life with many companions is readily available to us. It is readily available and easy, and it's, you don't even have to leave your couch. Just pick up your phone, and you have many companions. You have friends. Digital friendships are dangled before us all the time. And they can draw us in to the point of neglecting true friendships and other relationships. There have been plenty of times that I'm sure you've all been a part of where you're in a room with people or you at least witness a room of people where every single one of them is looking at a screen and not one another. Well, what we like to do is say, like, the, the older crowd will say to the younger crowd, like, those kids are always on their phone. 
And they are sometimes, where they'll actually be chatting with one another through screens and not, not actually opening their mouths to one another, even if they are in the same room. But I've also been in a lot of rooms with older people my age and older that have done the exact same thing. This is not an age problem. This is a, we're trying to find many companions problem and we don't have any true friends. They're dangled in front of us all the time. And it's keeping us from true friendships. It's keeping us from the intimacy with one another that we're made to have. It's also keeping us, with intimacy, keeping us from intimacy and friendship with God. And if we're honest with all those things and putting them out there, we're, we're checking out what our digital friends are doing when we need to be being a friend to God. Taking away from us looking to God and what He has done, what He is doing. We're checking what other people are doing, what they have done. Digital friendships, they fail the test of a true friend. They might pass the test for many companions. I'm not saying they're invaluable again, but they're of less value. And they can lead us into isolation. You might have many companions and still live an isolated life. We see this. There's studies all over the place about this, where we have more friends, we're more connected than ever, and more isolated, lonely, and depressed than ever. There's a connection, and the sages told us about it long ago, that we need true friends. We need something of greater value. It's easy to be led into isolation with these kind of friendships because we're controlling all the content. We're, we can make the sharing only go one way if we want to. We'll even, we'll even have this friendship where we're, we're editing every bit of content that comes out. And so here we have highly edited content of ourselves toward one another, and that leads to no, no depth and less value. Having many acquaintances is far less important than having a few good friends. And the wise know this. The wise know that a few good friends are so valuable and they thank God for them. If you have a few good friends, thank God. And if you don't have a few good friends, start asking God. He is a father who loves you. He wants you to have true friends around you, speaking to you, listening to you. Ask him. I'm sure he will be gracious to you to provide. I love what one author said, this is the daughter of Jonathan Edwards. She said that nothing is more refreshing to the soul except communication with God himself than the company and society of a friend. One that has the spirit of and relish for true friendships. And this is becoming to the rational soul. This is godlike. Ask yourself if you're pursuing those kind of relationships or the surface level, one-dimensional digital friendships that might even be transactional in your life. Wisdom is calling us to true friendship. Wisdom is calling us to the rare, valuable kind of friendship. And so we have to ask, all right, what does this look like? What does wisdom have to give us in what this should look like? Tim Keller said this, that two features of real friendship, constancy and transparency, and real friends always let you in and they never let you down. And I think this is a really good summary of where the book of Proverbs goes with friendship. And I'm going to reverse the order and do transparency first. But constancy and transparency, true friendships are transparent. They're marked with this humility towards one another, enough to let other people in, and honesty toward one another. If you look in chapter 28, chapter 28, verse 23, it says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Here's a, a better scenario. Here's something that's good and something that's better. In chapter 27, you see something similar. Chapter 27, verse 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, the wise are those who welcome correction. They actually want it. They, they think that it's good. They welcome it from true friends. We've seen through the book of Proverbs that correction and discipline, when they're done rightly, are actually good expressions of love. In chapter 3, it's God disciplines those he loves. And we've seen in parents that parents discipline their children that they love. And so we see that the correction in life is actually a good thing, an expression of love. And true friends are those who are willing to love each other enough to correct and reprove when necessary. They are willing to give faithful wounds, trustworthy rebukes for the purpose of correction, for the purpose not to hurt and harm, but to heal and bring out good health in another's life. It's implied that these wounds, I think, again, that these aren't just wounds from fools, right? Enemies can give plenty of wounds. They surely will, right? The wounds from friends are different. These are from wise friends, right? We're warned over and over again in the book of Proverbs not to listen to fools. But when you have a true friend around you, those are the ones you need to listen to. And in order to do this, there has to be some transparency in life. There has to be some openness with all of our life. There has to be some humility with one another, some honesty with one another, uh, one-dimensional or surface-level friendships, digital friendships, transactional friendships, where we're always putting the best foot forward, where we always have an edited, edited version of ourselves, are not going to do that. Those kind of friendships allow for all sorts of hiding, as all the content is highly edited and controlled or even manipulated. If you have that kind of content that you're constantly pointing out, you're never going to be open for rebuke, because there's never going to be anything wrong with you. Have you noticed, on, on, when you look at social media, there's never anything wrong with anybody in the world. Or, there's, or they'll just spill everything and like everything is wrong with everything in the world, right? You only have one, those two extremes. Like, where's the happy medium? I don't know. But if you're going to have that kind of friendship, it's going to allow for hiding. And there's not going to be room for rebuke because your life is great. But in true friendships, there's no hiding. There's a vulnerability, an opening up of our lives to the life of another. And that means the good, the bad, the ugly. All parts of life are open to a true friend. I like what Paul Tripp says when he says that true friendship calls you out of darkness and of personal privacy into the loving candor of mutual concern. It moves you from being a sealed envelope to an open letter. The best relationships are built on a foundation of mutual trust giving and truth speaking. So there's some humility, the humility of approachability, he calls it, and the courage of loving honesty. There's both. These are both needed in our relationships And what this does, this transparency, what it does is it doesn't drive away people. It actually allows to build the relationship. It allows for greater depth, greater intimacy within the relationship. The closest relationships in lives are those relationships that have reciprocated vulnerability and transparency. There's greater transparency and greater vulnerability can lead to greater intimacy, greater closeness. Let me just say that transparency is God-like. God is the one who makes himself known. He reveals himself. He doesn't stay hidden. He lets us know who he is. And he does that for the purpose of greater depth, greater knowledge of him, greater relationship with him, that we might have intimacy with him. Now, we don't get to look at all he is and start correcting him. We don't offer corrections because he's holy and perfect. But he's revealing himself that we might know him and be in relationship with him. He manifests himself. He even goes to great distances by taking on flesh to make himself known so that we can love him. He wants depth and relationship with us, so he makes himself known. We need to make ourselves known to our friends. Transparency and vulnerability should be present in our friendships, should be present if we're going to have greater depth in our relationships with one another. And notice what happens here, though. This transparency and true friendship is for the good, 
right? It says there's not hidden love anymore, and so you have the assurance that someone actually loves you. It may not feel like love in the moment, but it's better, it says, better are open rebukes than hidden love. There's some assurance in that. I'm in the context of a good friendship in that. But transparency, what it does is it frees space for being approached. It frees up your life so that you can be approached when you need to be corrected. In chapter 27, we have a great picture of this. In verse 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. That's what true friendship does. It sharpens. There is an impact in this, right? There's a collision here. It hurts. doesn't harm. It hurts. There's not shattering of the iron here. There's sharpening of the iron. And there's a difference. The force of the impact makes something smoother and sharper in ways that it couldn't, that couldn't happen any other way. They have to be brought together. There has to be a collision and an impact. There must be closeness. There has to be some vulnerability, some openness with all of life for this collision to happen and to happen rightly so that you could be sharpened and sharpen one another. So this takes humility. The wise life is a life filled with humility, not pride. The humility to be approached, knowing that you don't have everything together. It is a life of honesty, speaking the truth. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And so we have to know ourselves enough to start suspecting our own hearts. Start suspecting that there's a lot more sin there than what we can see. That we actually need other people to look in so that they might be able to see what's all hidden below the surface that we don't even notice about our lives. We have to know ourselves and let others speak in. We have to be transparent enough so that others can know where to rebuke us. One author says this, that real friends not only agree, but they disagree. So get some friends that disagree with you. Real friends not only applaud each other's strengths, but challenge each other's weaknesses. Do both. Real friends not only enjoy life together, but struggle through life together. Real friends not only praise one another, but apologize to and forgive one another. Real friends not only rally around their points of agreement, but love and learn from their points of disagreement. Those are the kind of friends we need. Are we being transparent enough for that to happen? Do we have the humility of approachability enough for that kind of stuff to happen? If so, we should be receiving some correction from someplace. There ought to be some friends that are correcting us. Now, oftentimes this isn't direct. It could be more organic and unintentional. It's often in groups, especially home groups, when I hear other men talk about what's going on in their lives. Other saints talk about their struggles, their sins, that I'm reproved by their pursuit of holiness. Those are the kind of friends you need to put in your life. Sometimes they don't have to come to you and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. When they can just confess their own sins and struggles, you'd be like, I haven't even thought about that. God reproves through other people, sometimes organically, unintentionally, but it ought to be present. And so let's ask this, who really knows you? Who really knows you? Not an edited version of you, who knows you? Who has the freedom, the ability to speak into your life to correct you when you're wrong? And if you have a name and a face and someone that comes to your mind, then thank God, what a gift. What a gift that you might not be blind to your sin and all the areas that you need correction in your life. If you don't have that, if no name or person comes to your mind, start asking God again for that kind of friend. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. You need that kind of friend. Ask God for it. But here's another way to find it. Another way to find that kind of friend is to start being that kind of friend. Be a wise friend. Pursue wisdom. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Be transparent. Be humble. Be honest with one another. I love C.S. Lewis. He says this in Mere Christianity. He says, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. 
And he's like, you're going to start loving them. If you love God and you, don't, you say you don't love your neighbor, just start acting like you do and let God bring that along. And that's what we need to be with one another. Right, so I don't have a true friend. Like, well, start being a true friend. Start acting that out and see if God doesn't bind your hearts together. So one way to true friendships is to start being a true friend. Be open, be humble, be honest, be friend other people. One way that we try to do that here to foster deep relationships, true friendships, is through our home groups. A place where we're trying to build deep relationships with one another. But that is only the beginning. Like we're only just trying to foster a, a place where we can come around with one another with this shared interest and desire of God and his word and his people. And we just want it to flourish from there. Certainly that is only the very beginning. There ought to be relationships that you pursue long and way beyond home groups. And I hope that you do. But if not, that's a start. Jump in there and start asking that God would bring along these kind of friendships. Jump in and then go further. But we have to be transparent if we're going to get the depth of friendship that's needed for the wise life and for true friendship. But transparency and vulnerability and approachability are all difficult, often abused. And so what we do is we often avoid them. We don't want them. We've been there and done that and it didn't work and so we're out. But wisdom calls us to more. Wisdom calls us to more <clears throat> in friendships than just transparency. It also calls for the other side of this, constancy or loyalty. If you look in chapter 17, verse 17. It says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Now, what may be going on here, it's tough to know, is that a friend is kind of put over in some ways a brother. That it might be saying that your brother's around only sometimes, maybe in the times of adversity, but a friend is around all the time. It doesn't necessarily have to have that meaning, but it could be there. In other words, I think it's saying, we need friends, even if it's not devaluing family and brotherhood. But we all know that true friends can be brothers, but brothers cannot be true friends sometimes. And we need true friends. They might be both. Praise God for those friendships and brothers. And one author says that real friends see each other as long-term companions. They give to each other the rare gift of long-term loyalty. And instead of using each other, they serve each other. Instead of keeping score with each other, they support, champion, encourage, serve, forgive, and strengthen each other. In real friendship, the flourishing of other people takes priority over our own goals and ambitions. Now that phrase sticks out in verse 17, at all times. At all times, there's no picking and choosing when to be friends. There's no jumping ship at the next exit. There's constancy. There's loyalty. Friends are not hot and cold. They're not fickle. They're not looking to jump ship quickly. They're unwavering at all times, it says. I like what J.R.R. Tolkien said when he said, Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. A friend at all times. Friends remain in adversity and the good things and the bad things. All the time, they remain. So basically what I'm telling you is that the ideal friend is Samwise Gamgee. He's a gardener. I mean, do, do I need to keep... He's a, he can cook. He brings his pots and pans with him. He makes a promise to Gandalf at the beginning, right? He says, I made a promise to Gandalf. Gandalf said, do not leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And he says, I'm not going to. I don't intend to. And so from the Shire all the way to Mordor to Mount Doom, Samwise is right by his side. He's there. He's there when Frodo wants to go off by himself. He's there when Frodo turns him back. He comes back after him. He's there when a, a spider 
stings him and wraps him up and is taken. I mean, he goes after him. He is with him through the good and through the bad. And this is important, not just for the movie, but also in life. Because here's the, here's the kicker for us. We're like hobbits. I'd like to say we are hobbits because I feel like that's where we are, but we're like them at least. And here's what hobbits are. They're not meant to travel alone. They can't do it alone. They need one another. We are not meant to travel alone. It is not good, God said, for man to be alone. We need true friends to travel the road with us. We need fellow sojourners because the road is going to be light and it's going to darken. And we're going to need friends that are going to stick close to us during all of those times that won't say farewell when the things get hard, especially when things get hard there with us. And what constancy in friendship does is it provides the security for vulnerability, for transparency to have a place. It provides the loyalty that true friendships flourish in. Loyalty is providing the ground needed to to both give and receive correction because we know in the middle of correction, you're not going anywhere, I'm not going anywhere, we're sticking this out for the good of us both. It gives us what we need to sojourn in this world. I think that marriage vows are a good picture of this. The traditional marriage vows are, you know, in better or worse, in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. Like those marriage vows are not written for a marriage day only. In fact, I would say that they're not written primarily for a wedding day. You don't need to vow that, I hope, in a normal situation. You don't need to vow that on your wedding day. You need those vows for five years later, five days later, five hours later, when it's a little bit harder. That's when you need those vows. You are promising future love. You need that constancy in relationship. There's a needed constancy in relationships. And it's not just for marriage. It's for friendships. We need loyalty with one another. We need true friends that are going to stick with us in sickness and in health. They're going to be there by our side. We need true friends to travel the road with us. And God provides this constancy for relationship. God does this with us, does he not? Here is the God who is light and there is no shadow of variation due to change. Like he is the one who is with us, unchanging, faithful to all of our promises, there for us always. always. He doesn't leave us when the road gets hard. And we are to be imaging that God in our relationships. We are to be loyal and faithful to one another. In an age where people lack commitment, in an age where people lack constancy in friendships, Like, we need loyalty now more than ever. In an age that will divide over almost anything, loyalty in friendships is conspicuous and can be a bomb to those around. And can we just be honest that we're struggling here? This isn't just like, like they're struggling. We're struggling here to be constant and loyal. And we've all been hurt. And it's led to apprehension in entering relationships. We've all been burned, and it's leading to lack of depth in friendship. We've all been there more for others than they've been there for us, and it's led us to weariness. We've all been rejected, and it's led us to this lack of commitment with one another so that we have a way out when someone is less committed than we are. There are so many ways that we have gone into self-preservation mode, but it's not wisdom. Brothers and sisters, it's not wisdom. It's not the voice of God that says it's good for man to be alone. It's not the voice of wisdom that knows lots of people and is close to none. That's the voice of folly. And God knows 
all of the downs and defeats and hurts of friendship. Right? Didn't God go to great lengths to reconcile and befriend? Didn't he go after us? And Jesus came to us in our sin. He took on flesh. And John chapter 15, verse 15 says, he didn't call to come to call us servants. He came to call us friends. Jesus, God in flesh, was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Think about that for a minute. Jesus, God in the flesh, was acquainted with grief. Jesus, God in flesh, bore shame, indignation, rejection, and rebellion from people. He is acquainted with grief. He was rejected. People just flat right would reject him. People that he befriended betrayed him and ran away. He was abandoned. We don't have a God who is just God out of the grave and into the heaven. We have a God who is God in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's calling his weary disciples to pray and they can't even stay awake for an hour to pray with him in his time of need. And that when the soldiers come, they all run off but few. And the few that remained, if one of those decided to go ahead and reject him later. Deny that he knew him. Like this is our God. He too knows friendship. He knows the depth of friendship. He knows the hurt of friendship. But he also knows the joy of friendship because he did leave the grave. He's not just the God of the Garden of Gethsemane. He also went into the tomb and came out again. So he does know the joy of friendship. And he is the one who will give us all that we need. Amen. And so let's repent where we've listened to folly. And let's turn to one another ready to be loving, loyal friends. Like if we've all been hurt and we've all had that struggle, then let's turn and be tender with one another then and start saying, yeah, you too, you've been hurt too, let's do this thing together. Let's make this right with one another. Wisdom says a friend loves at all times. And that should bind us together even where and when we've been hurt. But we're more than just victims. Let's not get into this place where we've just been hurt and how can we move forward. We're not just victims, we're part of the problem. We are not often the kind of friends that we would actually want in our lives. We're not what we're describing here through the book of Proverbs. We're too self-absorbed. We're too easily offended. We're too filled with false expectations. We're too closed off. We're much too flaky. People are much too big in our view and God is much too small. We are part of the problem. Wisdom is calling us into the right fear of the Lord, into right relationship with God, where we rightly are in awe of Him, where we rightly have closeness with Him as the God of all the universe. He wants us to be close to Him, and the right fear of the Lord will always lead to greater friendships because God is all we need. It seems counterintuitive, right? You have all you need in God, so you don't need other people. But because we have all we need in God, we're led to greater friendships with one another. See, God provides us with the stability that we need in relationship that then frees us up for relationship with others. See, God truly is the one who can always let us in rightly, and he actually invites us in and who will never let us down. He is that. Those who rightly fear the Lord, who trust in him, God calls them friends. Doesn't call them enemies. That's what they are. They have sinned against him. He invites them into life with himself and calls them friends. And he's enough. But his sufficiency for us never leads us into isolation. It always will lead us into deeper, truer, better friendships. Always. And the you too of those who fear the Lord and fully depend on him is extremely durable. 
Like, oh, you're fully trusting in Jesus too. He's all that you have. Me too. That's a durable bond. That's a bond that will free up all sorts of transparency. Yeah, I'm that bad. Jesus paid for all that. That's how bad it gets. We can be that with one another. Like nothing that anybody could say about you hasn't already been said, right? God said it. God said, this is how bad your sin is. This is how ugly it looks that Jesus has to die. That's as bad as it gets. But he also said the best thing too, right? But I love you enough to give it. Because I want to call you friend, beloved, child. And when we come around that common bond, now that's extremely durable. But we don't need to get them out of order. No one can fill the place that only God is meant to fill in your life. So maybe that's where you need to start. Repent and trust in God. Let him be your friend, fulfill you. Be the one who always lets you in and never lets you down. God is meant to fill that spot in your life. Do you know Jesus as friend? He's going to let you in. He invites you in. Over and over again, he invites you in. He will never let you down. He will be faithful to all of his promises. He's made a way for you to be his friend. Start there and then look out. And let God bring his people around you to show you love and to be loved by you. God, it's humbling. Friendship is humbling. It's humbling before God. We come in our need. We have to fully depend upon him. That's humbling. But we come to him and we know that it's safe because he died to make a place for us. It's humbling to need to walk with other people, but it's also good. And we can trust that God is good. Man, what a friend we have in Jesus. The one who would make a way, who would let us in and never let us down. As family together, as friends together, we get to celebrate that Jesus has made friends with us. We are reminded in the Lord's Supper that Jesus came to us, that he took on flesh, that he might reconcile us, that he might befriend us, that he might draw us near. His body was broken so that that might happen. His blood was poured out so that we might be brought near. So if you are a friend of God, one who has repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, we're inviting you to be reminded of that with brothers and sisters around you by taking the supper, tearing off a piece of the bread, dipping in the juice, and knowing that Jesus has bound you with himself and bound us together. If you're not a believer, don't take this meal. You could take judgment upon yourself by taking this meal, and we don't want that. What we want for you is to take Jesus instead. Believe in him, trust in him, repent of your sins, and depend fully upon him. And we'll prepare you to take this meal next time. This meal is a sacred family meal for believers, to be reminded of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So if that has happened for you, if you're friends of God, come and be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray together.